0: I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning at verse 12 through the end of that chapter is our text for this morning. Over the hand, next handful of weeks, we're going to be walking through Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel is a retelling of the life of Israel in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in his Gospel, is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, and God's people of always fallen short until God's Son, the true man, the true Israel, Jesus Christ, has come. If we look at Matthew's gospel as a retelling of Israel's life, we would see the beginning, the first four chapters here, is uh, the story of Genesis and Exodus. So that when we come to the end of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4, what do we see? We see Jesus passing through the waters of judgment in his baptism. He's Israel going through the Red Sea. And where does he go immediately after that? But he goes into the wilderness where he is tempted in the way that Israel was tempted 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years. And yet, where Israel failed, Jesus holds fast. He remains true. He holds fast God's word and he worships God alone. And then his ministry begins in earnest in verse 12 and following to which we turn our attention to this morning as he might minister to us as we turn to that passage would you please pray with me let us pray our heavenly father we thank you for giving us your son Jesus Christ who is the light of the world even this morning would you reveal to us your truth would you redeem us from sin Would you reconcile us to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ? We celebrate this season of epiphany, that your light has shined upon us. Now give us strength and courage to shine that light throughout the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is the season of epiphany, the light of Christ going out into the nations. If only it was the warmth of Christ going through the Midwest. We celebrate the light of Jesus going to the nations, and our passage quoted from Isaiah here reminds us that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, that those dwelling in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That light is Jesus Christ, who then calls us to himself, who calls us to a life of repentance and faith in order to make us fishers of men. So let's look at the beginning of our passage in verse 12 of Matthew 4. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Remember, Jesus has just endured 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. Angels have ministered to him to strengthen him. And now Jesus begins a public ministry in earnest. Certainly, he would go to Jerusalem and to the temple and announce from the rooftops, the kingdom has come. But where does he go? He goes to Galilee. The equivalent of going to Axtell, rather than Washington, D.C. His forerunner, John, was recently arrested. Darkness descended upon the land. Now, we know darkness, though different from what they were experiencing here. But we feel darkness. We have dwelt in darkness over these past few years, even these last few days in some ways. The long hours of darkness we endure this season exasperates the sense that darkness is present and oppressive, but Jesus comes as the light. And this light departed Nazareth, departed Jerusalem to go up north. Why? Well, John's just been arrested. Certainly, Jesus departs the area. There's a concern that his identity would be revealed and he would be threatened to prison as well, or others might identify him as the king and seek to send him to the throne before the time was ripe. But Matthew draws our attention to another fact, another reason for Jesus' movement. This direction up north fulfills the scriptures which were read for us from Isaiah chapter 9, which Matthew quotes beginning at verse 14. But verse 13 and following, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them has light dawned. Matthew is pointing our attention to Isaiah's prophecy, and he's telling us that Jesus is the light foretold, that Jesus is the light shining in darkness. Now Zebulun and Naphtali, good names for your children if you don't have names yet. But these are tribes and they're in the northern region of Israel and they're surrounding the Sea of Galilee or as Isaiah says, the Sea of the Gentiles. So we already have an implication here that wherever this light is shining, he's shining amongst the Gentile nations as well as among the Jews. Now, generations before Jesus, a little bit after Isaiah had written, those, na- those uh, tribes surrounding the, the, the Sea of Galilee, they would have been taken into captivity. They would have been the first as the northern kingdom comes down into Israel and takes them, conquers them, exiles them. They would have been the first to go. But Isaiah is giving them words ahead of time to bring comfort, to bring encouragement, to bring hope in the midst of exile. And though those people would have been in exile for sin, Isaiah promised that those people, or their heritage, their generations after them, would see a great light. Though they dwell in darkness, in exile, that light would shine in their midst, illuminating truth, illuminating again the way to God, providing warmth, providing guidance. Now, Isaiah's message to those people would certainly have been a reference to them exiled and then a return to that same place. But the fullness of Isaiah's passage actually comes, Matthew tells us, in Jesus' movement here. The fullness of Isaiah 9 is in the presence of God's Son as he enters Capernaum by the sea of the Gentiles, by the sea of Galilee. Now, Matthew quotes a couple of verses from early on in Isaiah 9. We can identify that Jesus is this one, this light, because if we would read later on, the verses I read for us before, what are the end, what's the end of that passage in Isaiah 9? For unto us, What? A child is born. Who is this light that shines in that region? Under us, a a child is born. A son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord of Hosts will do this. Matthew writes, and he's pointing us to Isaiah's prophecy to see that a light is going to shine in Capernaum, and that light is the sun. The child born, whom earlier we see, is Jesus Christ. Matthew, again, is showing us how Jesus is fulfilling the story of Israel. That Jesus is the light of the world shining in dark places. That he alone brings peace and true counsel and righteous government. So, Christians, we don't put our hope or our stock in elections for 2024. Be careful. They're coming. Be aware. Our hope isn't in that, nor in our own abilities or our ambitions. We look for Jesus in our midst, trusting in his finished work and in his reign. And this son of God, this child born, well, what does he do? But he calls people to himself. Look at verse 17 and following. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus calls people to himself. When Mark tells this story, he says that Jesus called himself those that he wanted, those whom in love he would call, from whom he finds pleasure in. He loves them. He calls them to himself. It's a simple call. It says, follow me—it's the central call to the life in the triune God to follow, follow Jesus. Now, see—we're called to more than to follow ideas and doctrine, important as that is. Called to more than a religion or a cause. We are called to God's Son, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus calls us to Himself. Let us let us remember that as we have doubts, as we have fears as we have conflict with one another. Remember, Jesus calls us to himself. Let us hold fast to this when we lose sight of what is true and beautiful and good, that we are to come time and again to Jesus. Follow me is the simple call. And that call is twofold. It's a call to repentance and a call to faith. Back to verse 17, what does he tell us? What is his message? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near, therefore repent. Now the psalms, they sing the praises that befit the soul who confesses their wrongs, who is forgiven by God, who is patient and kind, whose steadfast love knows no bounds. The psalmist tells us, blessed, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Jesus' first words of ministry, what's the very first word that he says? Repent. Repent. Inhabit the life of repentance. And the thing is, the first person he sees is Peter. And and no one was as well versed in the life of repentance as Peter. I mean, he was more apt to stick his foot in his mouth than on the path of righteousness, wasn't he? The way of Jesus or the way to Jesus is through repentance. A, A father of the faith says this, Sin is the wound. Repentance is the medicine. Sin is followed by shame. Repentance is followed by boldness. A confessing of wrong is against God and against neighbor. Repentance is simply turning from something wrong. though we often turn back to that same thing when we ought not. Following Jesus is a life of repentance, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's also a turning to someone, something, someone in faith. That same church father says, be ashamed when you sin, but don't be ashamed when you repent, right? Verse 20 and following says this, immediately they, that's uh, Peter and Andrew, immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, with John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's a simple response to Jesus' command, and it's an expression of faith. They follow. They leave what they're doing, and they follow Jesus. He says, follow me. And do they take a while to follow? What does it say? Both of them, both sets of brothers, immediately they follow. The obedience from these two sets of brothers is an expression of faith, for faith without action is dead, as James tells us. Faith is believing truth, it is embracing goodness, it is embodying beauty, but faith is a coming to Jesus Christ, arresting our being in his presence. Christ-like, quick obedience is a form of faith, trusting in the one whom we cast ourselves upon. This is what it is to exercise faith. It is casting ourselves, trusting ourselves in the one whom God sends. Now, as a child, I grew up on a farm, and I loved working with my dad. I, I should put working in quotations because it wasn't probably helpful, but he loved it. I set siphon tubes. Now, those are extinct, I think, but I used to set siphon tubes. And I would help in the combine, which meant what? I would eat a ham and cheese sandwich while my father drove the combine. Even I got to, as an 8-year-old, I got to drive a pickup truck while the pipe was being hauled you know irrigation pipe it was just idling but I got to help right now there's a lot of dangers that threaten the the farm life isn't there and yet in the presence of my dad my little eight-year-old self simply set about my work no matter how little of effect I had on the actual work itself it was a delight and my father delighted to have me with him my father was there what was there for me to worry about Never even considered it. It's a simple trust. It's a child being carried along in the work. It's a working steadily beside the father who is effectual and good. So this is the life of faith. It doesn't eliminate for us worry, anxiety, or pain. The life of faith trusts that Jesus is near as he promises. Calls us to a life of repentance. Calls us to a life of faith for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is near to guard, to guide, to work alongside. Coming to Jesus in repentance and faith, he makes us his, and he enlists us in his service. Back to verse 19, he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us to a life of repentance and faith, and he calls us, he enlists us as fishers of men. It's interesting. Can you think of, in the Old Testament scriptures, what was the primary vocation for the saints of old? Can you think of something like an Abel or a a Moses? What were they about? What were they doing before the Lord called them and list them to serve as prophets and leaders? What about Moses, King David? What were they doing, Abraham? Shepherds. Now, Jesus comes as the good shepherd, doesn't he? And are we to guard the flock and tend the flock as well? Absolutely. But what does Jesus first call us to here? Interesting, isn't it? We're to be fishers of men? It's the image from the Old Testament that the, the land is the land of the people, the Jews, the promised land. And the land of the sea is of the nations and the Gentiles. And Isaiah's prophecy says that the light will shine amongst the sea of the Gentiles, the sea of the nations. Jesus' light shines amongst the people of God, but it goes out. And to the nations. There's something about Jesus calling us as fishers that, that, that propels us outward. And I think that's the crux of this central command, this promise, this call. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, that, that light would shine in the Old Testament in the land upon God's people. Nations would be streaming to it. And then here in the Old Testament, the light shines and and it goes out because Jesus, through his spirit, through his church, expands as his kingdom expands into the nations, that he dwells in the life of his body as they go out into the world. His light has come, and now it must disperse to the four corners of the globe. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. How was that light to go to the four corners of the globe except that we, the people of God, are to be that light to the world. Now, the role as fishers of men would obviously be those who are seeking out others to share in the life of Christ. Isn't that what we think of evangelism primarily when we think of be fishers of men to make disciples go out and, and speak the truth of Christ? Exhibit the love of Christ. Share the mercy of Christ in the darkness of a fallen world. But it's, it's more than this, isn't it? What else does Jesus have in mind when he looks at calling us as fishers of men? Well, let's look at the two sets of brothers that Jesus calls. What are they doing? What are, what's Simon and Andrew? What are they doing when Jesus calls them? They're casting nets, aren't they? They're actively fishing. They're actively seeking. And it makes sense. What, Peter's the first to go to the Gentiles and, and share the gospel with them. And, and the Gentiles come. So you see this worked out over the life of Peter as well. So, a task of fishers, men, it's definitely to go out to seek those who dwell in darkness, who do not know the light of Christ. But what do we see James and John doing? They're fishing as well with their father. But what are they doing? They're mending their nets. Now I don't want to make too much of this, but this is necessary for fishing as well, to tend or mend the nets, to tend to that which is part of or integral to the, the work To guard that, to mend, to keep and to tend. James and John are mending, they're maintaining. And what do we see John later doing? He writes a gospel message, doesn't he? To strengthen the church. He writes letters to the church to build them up and encourage them to faithfulness. He records what God revealed to him in the book of Revelation to strengthen the body of Christ. Now, again, I don't mean to make too much of this But what we see is Jesus calling both sets of brothers to fishing. And those roles vary. It is a pursuit. It is an evangelism. But it is also a strengthening. It is a a pastoring. His kingdom has come. We are to pursue those outside of his life. And we're to work to grow those, encourage those within it as well. So, when he comes to fishing, fishers of men here, as we call to that role What aspect is more natural for you? What do you get more energy from? For some, the thought of telling others about the truth of Christ or showing them the love of Christ and hospitality, energy. They get energy and life from it. They love talking about Jesus, showing the life, sharing the life of Jesus with others. And for others, the idea of doing so brings about clammy hands and shortness of breath. It's not one is better than the other, but we're called to both But we must recognize that both are indeed our roles. Some delight to engage with others in the good news of Jesus, to inspire by their attractive life, to consider Christ. Others are given to build up the body, to encourage, to exhort, to follow Jesus. And remember what Paul says about these different roles? He says, I planted, Paulus watered, but God gave the growth. He who plants and he who labors, he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Follow Jesus. To follow him as he commands is to live a life of repentance and faith as fishers of men. And I think it's like we don't give it up. We don't give up these roles, no matter how hard it seems, no matter how fickle or how often we fail at these tasks. We don't give up because God is the one who causes the growth. Jesus says his kingdom is near because his kingdom, his reign, his rule is in himself. And we see that now as we end our passage of verse 23 and following. This is what Jesus' kingdom looks like in the midst of darkness. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the kingdom, or the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with the various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. You see the, the people, the nations, are flooding to the light of Jesus Christ. And the command for the followers of Jesus Christ is to disperse, to go, and to be that light to the world. We see Jesus healing every affliction here. Every affliction. The litany that Matthew gives of these miraculous works here, it's evidence that Jesus is the anointed one, that he is the flame of God's glory come in the flesh. Remember later John the Baptist, he's, he's been arrested here, and later he sends messengers to Jesus to ask, are you the one? Do you remember Jesus' response? How is Jesus going to evidence who, that he is the one, the Messiah? What does he do? He just lists these same things. And that's enough for John. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is who the Old Testament scriptures anticipate. This son who would bring peace. This child born who would redeem his people. Who would reconcile all of creation to God. So Matthew summarizes the Messiah in his mighty works. Displayed. Israel could never achieve these things. No nation can. But it is only in God's son. Only in God's kingdom do these things come about? We have great confidence in our work as fishers of men, seekers, of builders of his kingdom. It is Christ's kingdom, and he causes the growth. So people of God, know that your labor is not in vain, whether we're pursuing those outside of Christ or building up those in Christ. Your labor is not in vain. about the last word of our passage says great crowds followed him and so we too follow we do our best to inhabit the role as fishers of men knowing that it is Jesus who bears the fruit who pursues the lost sheep whose kingdom will expand as yeast leavens the bread and he promised then he promises still that he will bear the fruit and so we labor on Jesus' central command throughout the Gospels is this. Simply follow me. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. Now we don't need to search the news feeds to interpret the times or make up these really extravagant interpretations of the book of Revelation to know when, when does the kingdom come? What are the last days? Well we know that the kingdom comes in Jesus Christ. He ushers in the kingdom of heaven. Where he is, there his kingdom is as well. And he promises one day that he will put all things to rights, that he will come and judge the living and the dead as we confess. But the knowledge of that day or that hour is not for us. Ours is simply to inhabit the roles called he calls us to, to inhabit the life of repentance and faith. Weekly we inhabit the rhythms of repentance, but what about Day in and day out. What about an evening review of our days as a time to seek out our wrongs and confess them, seeking forgiveness as we lay down to sleep? What about seeking opportunities with those whom we love and whom we wrong on a regular basis? to be quick to confess and quicker still, to forgive? What are we to learn to lead or to, to, to learn to read or to grow in? how we pray, what practical steps can we grow in faith as we seek to follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's no more basic call on our life in Christ. And yet, our entire lifetime is not enough to exhaust its implications. Our lives are not our own. We belong to Christ and he calls us. In his mercy, he calls us to himself. In his grace, he calls us to a life of repentance and faith. In his love, he calls us as fishers of men. And as we depart this day, take hold of that call. Respond to that command. Follow me. Repent. I will make you fishers of men. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you call us unto yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ. We give ourselves to you as we hear your word, as we receive your word. Strengthen us. Build us up in the image of Christ that we might see the light and that we might then be the light to those around us. We pray for strength and courage to live confidently and boldly before you this day and always. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.